0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are
0: waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at FCBradio.com. FCB.
0: They freed us all from tyranny, risked everything for liberty, and they thought
1: so we would be America, land of the free.
0: Welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. While we've been talking about the American Revolution, we've talked an awful lot about battles, the people who got hurt, and the people who got sick at places like Valley Forge. But what happened when someone needed a doctor? Things were awfully different back then, and we have an expert to tell you all about it.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Paige Gibbons-Backus, and I work in the history field. I manage a historic house museum in Northern Virginia. Uh, I manage actually a courthouse in jail right now, called Brentsville Courthouse Historic Center. Um, But I have worked uh, in many, many places throughout Northern Virginia doing a lot of different historic sites and talking about a lot of different history. So um, I like to talk about women's history, medical history, uh, Civil War history, uh, as well as things that kind of relate to uh, my courthouse and jail that I manage right now. So it's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun that I get to be able to talk about all different kinds of history uh, in a lot of different places. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if what we're talking about today, which is the the medical history during the American Revolution, that might intersect a little bit with women's history, too. It would. It most definitely does. Um, A lot of what you'll find with medical history during the colonial period, um, while most of the physicians and most of the doctors who were around at that point in time were all men, you did have a lot of women who were nursing in the home. Uh, and they were pretty much the ones that was taking care of their family, uh, helping to take care of the lo- local community. Uh, and during the American Revolution, they would also kind of play a role in these camp followers, kind of taking in the nursing role in that aspect too. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely talked about women, um, you know, doing things at
0: at the camps. And so I, I wondered if if healthcare might be part of that healthcare, such as it was. Um so they were they were maybe doing a lot of the work taking care of the men you know we just talked about Valley Forge for example or at some of these battles
1: Yeah, and so um, a lot of the time when in these battles during the American Revolution, you have a lot of surgeons, a lot of physicians who would be helping to do the major operations on a lot of these patients, Um, a lot of these soldiers who got hurt or who got sick. Uh, But you did have a lot of, like I mentioned, these camp followers, these women. A lot of the times they would be family members of someone who was in the Army that they would follow along the armies with. Uh, and they would try and do their best to take care of their patients uh, to the best of their ability. But the knowledge of medicine um, back, I mean, during the American Revolution, during the colonial era, uh, is not anywhere close to what we recognize today in the medical field and all the knowledge that we have today.
0: Yeah. Well, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the surgeons and, you know, professional doctors that were on site if someone was hurt, um, needed like a surgery, what what would that be like if somebody was shot or broke a bone what could they expect
1: so one of the most common injuries that took place during the american revolution were these musket balls Um, and so during the mus uh, during these battles with these soldiers who were hurt i mean that's going to cause a lot of traumatic injury to a lot of these men who are here Um, and so soldiers could get hurt um, in the arms or the leg or the stomach um depending on where they were hurt it really kind of impacted what kind of operation that they would have to do Mm -hmm. Um, in some cases uh, if they were wounded in the arm or the leg and it was too badly damaged they would have to what's called amputate or cut off that arm or cut off that leg Mm -hmm. Um, for soldiers who might have been wounded in the stomach um, they would have to what do it's called a probe so they would have to physically look for the bullet um, sometimes using the tool that's called a probe, sometimes using their fingers if they needed to, uh, where they could then use the proper equipment to remove that bullet Uh, and bandaged it up. However, um, when doing these operations, these doctors during the revolution, uh, they're not wearing gloves, uh, Mm -hmm. they don't know about germs, so they're not sanitizing their hands or their tools. And so because of all of these different kind of factors, uh, disease and infection during the American Revolution uh, is much more dangerous than actually being physically hurt on the battlefield. Yeah, even today, if we get an
0: infection, we can take an antibiotic and be back on our feet, but they didn't have those either. So, so a dirty wound was a big problem.
1: It most definitely was.
0: Yeah, and so this also sounds awfully painful to either have a limb you know, cut off, like you said, or have someone poking around in your belly to try to figure out where the musket ball went. And they didn't really have what we call anesthesia, which is to help you leap through it. And so you don't really feel
1: the pain at the time. That's right. Yeah. So anesthesia, like we know and use today, wasn't really invented um, or really discovered, if you will, until about the 1830s, 1840s. So over the course of the American Revolution, uh, they really didn't have as much anesthesia as what we're used to. So unfortunately, a lot of these soldiers who had to go through these operations Uh, they had to do it without that medical aid and so a lot of the times they would try to give them a little bit of whiskey or a little bit of something to drink to help numb the pain a little bit Um, but for many of these soldiers it was the the pain itself and the way that their body reacts that oftentimes would have these uh, soldiers pass out essentially and finish their surgery that way Oh. Uh, but it it was a really traumatic and a really painful experience for all of these soldiers who had to go through these different types of operations.
0: Yeah, so getting injured in the battle was only only the first step. Then you had to get through with the treatment, and and then hope you didn't get an infection after. That's exactly right. <laughs> Goodness. So um, it sounds like there are maybe a lot more
1: injured people than there are doctors to care for them. Is that would that be right? That is correct. Yeah, there actually were not very many physicians that were around in colonial America. Um, You did have, I mean, you did have a fair few, uh, but they were mostly located in the cities. And so if you think about the way that a lot of these people are living back in colonial America, they're living in rural places, they're spread out throughout farms. uh, And so there may not be physicians that are easily accessible to everyone in the community. Uh, And so that's where you have a lot of the time you have uh, women and and mothers and family members who are really kind of taking on that role and becoming what's called kind of a home physician. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's actually resources available for these women to be able to have in their home uh, to be able to learn about some of the different illnesses that they would commonly find in their home among their family, as well as some of the different treatments for it. Um, so you had medicines that were passed down through generations, just different recipes for people to make medicine, uh, but then you also had textbooks. I mean, there is a staple textbook that uh, may have been available in, in many homes throughout colonial America uh, called Every Man His Own Doctor, The Poor Planter's Physician, uh, which had a list of all of these different ailments that could be uh, commonly uh, found in homes throughout colonial America, and then they would have the medications that they would use or the recipes they would have to make medications to give to them. Um, In many cases for these physicians, uh, physicians would be called to come to the home. Uh, It wasn't so much of a doctor's office like we are used to today where we would go to see the doctors, Mm -hmm. uh, but instead they would go to where they were needed And a lot of the times they were called when illnesses were too bad that the families with whatever medications they might have been trying and home remedies, they might've been trying, weren't working. Uh, Or if there was a significant injury, like a farm injury or something like that, or a broken leg that they needed a physician to come in and try and help. So those recipes, they probably
0: would have been mostly things found in nature. Is that right? Just different plants and herbs that, that could help?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of natural materials um, thing and a lot of them are actually things that would have been grown in gardens for this purpose. Uh, So some of the most common ones are things like uh, rosemary sage lavender wormwood um, different kinds of. Uh, plants that you would actually find in your vegetable garden, uh, not only to be used as spices, but for these medicinal purposes as well. And many of these uh, medications, many of these herbs would be either dried um, and they would be crushed and turned into uh, what's called a poultice or something that's kind of like a cream um, that they could then rub on a wound or they would be brewed into a tea, for example, that could be drank uh, to be able to access the medicine that way.
0: Interesting. So there was a lot that people could could do at home and then call in the
1: doctor if, if their remedies didn't work. Is that right? right? Right. That's exactly right. Though sometimes, I mean, the medicines that they used and uh, the, the different types of thoughts that they had for medicine uh, weren't always quite as useful as we now know today. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one of the big uh, theories of medicine back during the colonial era was that a person had four humors. And if one of those humors were out of balance, that's what made you sick. Uh, so your humors were yellow bile, uh, black bile, blood and phlegm, which oh. is essentially snot. And if one of those were out of balance, then that's what made you sick and it had to be corrected. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, if you had a fever and your face was red uh, and your temperature was hot, uh, that, they thought that meant that the, you had too much blood. It was pulling at your face, it was making you hot. Uh, mm-hmm. And so one of the thoughts to help cure that was to actually bleed patients, make a small little cut, remove some blood from them, and then theoretically that would cure your illness. Um, we now know today is that if you have a headache, that's the last thing that you should do. Right. And that is definitely not what causes a headache, is having too much blood, but is instead swelling. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think of, you know, some, some of the, uh, you know, recipes and things probably might still help a little bit today, some of those herbs and stuff. And then there's the stuff like bleeding that is definitely off the table. With you know, things like the camp followers and the revolution itself, we're not just, we think about the injuries and the surgeries and amputations happening on the battlefield, but there's also just regular illness going through. So what would that have been like?
1: Yeah, you have many illnesses that are caused over the course of the American Revolution. Um, Things like uh, dysentery, typhoid fever, Uh, you have a smallpox epidemic that rages through uh, the colonies during the American Revolution. And so again, that theory of, or that lack of knowledge of where diseases come from and and what germs are, uh, really kind of impacts how people uh, view these diseases. Uh, Whereas things such as, Um, dysentery or uh, typhoid fever are actually caused by bacteria and parasites and and microbes, Uh, they think it comes from drinking bad water, for example, um, or having poor air, uh, for example. So the different kinds of thoughts of where these diseases come from really impact these soldiers because they're not, uh, they're not utilizing the proper methods to try and reduce uh, the spread of infection. Uh, for example, um, spreading out, cleaning your clothes, uh, making sure that everything is washed and cleaned and sanitized before using it, uh, really impacts the Im- how quickly disease spreads and infections spread. Um, and for a lot of these diseases, uh, I mean, there's really, they don't really have the knowledge of how to cure a lot of these diseases, so it's really up to the soldiers and to those who are infected in their constitution, really, uh, to be able to survive that infection. Um, However, you do have, for example, with smallpox, uh, which is making a lot of people sick during this time period, uh, you do actually start to have the rise of what's known as inoculations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an effort to try and stop the spread of the disease because with smallpox, if you get it and you survive it, uh, you're no longer, uh, you are no longer susceptible to it or you can no longer get it. You are in, sen- in a sense immune. Mm-hmm. Um, George Washington was actually immune yeah. to smallpox yeah, because he got it when he was in Barbados.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Uh, What they actually started doing um, as it was spreading through the army, George Washington actually started inoculating his soldiers uh, for smallpox to try and reduce the spread of the disease. And what that means is they'll actually take a scab of smallpox, uh, because smallpox covers your entire body with scabs and rashes, and it's really painful. Um, It's really uncomfortable. And so they'll make a little incision or a little cut in your arm and rub a scab in it, and then you'll get a not quite as intense uh, version of smallpox, but once you survive that version of smallpox, then you're gonna be immune to it. And so by doing that, they were able to try and uh, decrease how badly it spread through the armies. And so that was relatively successful during the American Revolution.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine that a lot of these people are coming from very small communities where maybe smallpox had already been through or typhoid or you know, something that you mentioned. Um, so they might be immune to it, like you said, but these are people coming and being together in large groups from very different areas. So I would think that that probably, does that add to
1: the spread? It most definitely does. I mean, with the American Revolution, you have large groups of soldiers coming together from all walks of life in all locations. And I mean, for those soldiers who had grown up with smallpox or measles or uh, mm-hmm. any of those other diseases, uh, they might be immune to it. But those who have never encountered it, those who may come from a rural community and no one in their community has had smallpox or measles then that's your population that's going to get really sick really fast and in large numbers. Uh, And so it really created issues uh, throughout the Continental Army when you had all of these soldiers who were just getting sick so fast. Um, And that's another one of the reasons why George Washington decided to inoculate all of his soldiers.
0: Yeah.
1: Sounds like a good leader, good
0: choice. (laughs) We talked a little bit about the you know dirty hands during uh surgeries and things like that and so what part does hygiene play in in regular illnesses not just in the in
1: the battlefield surgeries but just in people getting sick well germ theory wasn't i mean germ theory wasn't around at this point in time Uh, there were really you didn't have the connection between germs and making people sick until Mm -hmm. after pretty much the american civil war And so at this point in time, you have uh, people who are not necessarily washing their hands because they don't know about germs and not how to not spread them. Mm -hmm. So you have people who aren't necessarily washing their hands. Uh, They don't have the ability to, especially in the armies, to easily wash their clothing and sanitize their clothing, clothing. And so you just generally throughout the Continental Army have soldiers and camp followers Uh, living in a much dirtier um, environment than what we are used to today. And so just with that fact of not properly sterilizing utensils, I mean, utensils would, in some of these hospitals, would be shared from patient to patient to patient as nurses and as camp followers went from patient to patient feeding them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you might be sharing utensils, you might not be washing your hands. Um, For some cases, a lot of these bandages that would be used would be cloth bandages, so they would be washed and they would reuse, be reused. But without having the knowledge of sterilization, uh, while they were being washed, they weren't being sterilized to kill all those microbes and kill all of those germs. Yeah,
0: yeah that definitely sounds like like a recipe for a lot of people getting sick. Sounds like it's almost uh, incredible that that as many people stayed healthy and made it out that did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. I mean it's in, it's interesting when you think about um, how people lived back then and how compared to how we live today. Um, yeah, we, we have much better medicine that we have today. But if you think about all the different types of food that people were eating back then, people were eating whole foods, there was no McDonald's or anything that was full of chemicals and fats and things like that mm-hmm. nature. So they're all eating natural food. So they might get better nutrients, um, but then you have, right, the germs and, and diseases. And with the lack of that proper knowledge, that's much more dangerous back then than it is today. Yeah.
0: So with all of this up against uh, the the soldiers and the camp followers and everyone there, what, what do you feel like is the number one thing that the kids should remember about health
1: and medicine during the revolution? So um, the number one thing that I think that uh, children should remember is that today, I mean, every child at any point in time, no matter who you are, have gotten sick or have hurt in yourself at this point in your life. Um, so we now know that we need to wash our hands uh, anytime we use the restroom or we wash our hands before we clean a cut or clean a wound. Anytime we sneeze, we cover our mouths when we cough. And And the next time that you get sick and the next time that you have to take a medicine or the next time that you have to use band-aids or the next time you have to put um, Neosporin or anything on a cut, uh, remember that all of these soldiers back during the uh, during the American Revolution and soldiers even during the Civil War and everyone in between, uh, they suffered and they died from this lack of knowledge uh, that we take for granted today. And so it's because of all of that suffering and pain that people back 200 years ago went through that they were able to make changes and make realizations and make discoveries for us to be able to live as long and healthy as we do today.
0: Yeah. It's crazy to think that something as simple as Neosporin that we just take for granted and use whenever probably could have saved lives back then. You know, that was something that simple could have could have turned into a big infection. And who knows,
1: Neosporin could have been saving lives out there. Oh yes, most definitely. And for me personally, it, um, I broke my leg out West a couple of years ago on vacation. And I mean, if you're out West with a broken leg, if you imagine being something on like the Oregon trail, or if you imagine, being a soldier out in the middle of nowhere, and that happens, I mean, your chances of survival are very slim. Whereas today it, I mean, it was really no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I bet you got something to help it, uh, stop hurting quite so much too. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: Okay. So I always like to ask, do you have any anecdotes, any stories about, about medicine on the, on the battlefields that might be interesting?
1: So one of the stories uh, that I always like to tell when it comes to colonial medicine um, is related to actually our first president, George Washington. And we talked a little bit about how some of these methods that were used back during the colonial era uh, were helpful and others quite not so helpful. Uh, And so George Washington, um, one day he was actually out riding in the fields and he got sick um, uh, in December. And so when he got sick, his physician, because he had a fever during his sickness, uh, he had too much blood. And so their thought for that was that he should be blood. Um, and that was one of his, uh, that's one of his, uh, the ways that he uh they thought to try and cure him uh, so he had a sore throat they were bleeding him to try and help his sore throat go away to help his fever go away uh, in addition to giving him uh, vinegar and sage tea things of that nature well over the course of about two days george washington had more than 32 ounces of blood removed from him oh, and goodness. Because, yeah that was it's a lot of That's blood that's a lot of blood that was removed um and so because of that because he became so weak uh he actually developed pneumonia uh over the course of his treatment and so as he developed pneumonia he actually got to a point where he couldn't recover anymore and that actually caused his death on december fourteenth, seventeen 1799. so when we when we talk about these different types of methods that were useful and not quite so useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of these methods and bleeding, which was one of the not useful methods that actually killed our first president.
0: Yeah. If they had left him alone, his body might have healed that sore throat
1: all by itself. Right. So exactly. Had all if they that had, blood exactly. If they had just exactly. stuck with the vinegar and the tea, he might have been fine. Gosh, that's incredible to
0: think about and uh, how history could have been different if they had stuck with vinegar and tea. Mm, right. Well, Paige, thank you so much for joining us today. This was wonderful to
1: to learn about. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: Isn't that incredible to think about? George Washington had a sore throat, and maybe he would have survived if they hadn't cut him open and tried to balance out his blood. Unfortunately, they just didn't know back then. Like Paige told us, things were awfully different. During the revolution, the most common injury was to get hit by a musket ball like a bullet. And all too often, the only thing they could do was cut off the limb. But when they did those surgeries, they didn't wear gloves, they were using dirty instruments, and then bandaging up the wounds in rags that hadn't been cleaned since the last person. So really, the biggest problem was getting an infection because they just didn't know about germs. People also just got sick. They were coming from all different areas, bringing the sicknesses that might have been in their own communities but that other people had never been exposed to before. So it spread awfully fast. Some of the remedies worked though. There were recipes that people had handed down from their families or in books that were from herbs and other natural things. And a lot of those might have really helped. But not always enough and sometimes not at all. Another thing that was on their side was that they ate healthy food right from the farm and that was packed with nutrients that helped their bodies fight back against diseases and infections. I'm pretty glad to be living in the 21st century where I can have a nice clean band-aid, some Neosporin, and some good medicine, even if it doesn't taste very good. Remember to visit growingpatriots.com for links, videos, pictures, and other things that go along with this episode and every episode. You can also find the two Growing Patriot books there. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Amelia Hammy on all three, and we would love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you next time. They freed us all from tyranny, risked everything
1: for liberty, and they thought so we would be
0: America, land of the free. Distributed by FCB Radio
1: Network.